0: It wasn't that long ago, culturally speaking, that we really weren't familiar with the academic-sounding word dystopia. Sure, we knew what utopia was. We all read that book in college, maybe, or maybe if you're an English major, you read it. That's Thomas More's book of the same name that came out way back in 1516. And so if you ask somebody, what's a utopia? They could tell you, you know, it's an ideal society where humanity's problems have mostly been fixed and we live in harmony with each other. But a dystopia, what's that? Well, these days, your average fifth grader could tell you what a dystopia is. It's a story generally set in some kind of a future context in which humanity ain't doing so hot. Sometimes it's a post-apocalyptic story or involves zombies or some other monsters, and other times, it's the humans who have become the biggest monsters in a world that's completely fallen apart. Sometimes there's a definite sci fi or fantasy vibe, other times it's just a lot of gritty drama in a fractured future world. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about pop culture, entertainment, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, the proliferation of these stories, often jumping from hit novels to hit TV shows and movies, is pretty breathtaking. I suppose you could wind the clock back if you were looking for the start of dystopian stories, maybe to Planet of the Apes in the late 60s, or... Blade Runner in 1982, Terminator in 1984, I guess I'm a little bit of a dystopian geek, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) But once we get to this millennium, you have to move pretty fast to keep up with the number of dystopian stories that are just pouring out in print and on screen. We've got The Hunger Games, Divergent, Maze Runner, Snowpiercer, and The Handmaid's Tale, to name just a few. We're going to talk about the draw of that last show, The Handmaid's Tale, specifically today, because this popular but really problematic Hulu series, based on Margaret Atwood's 1985 novel, is wrapping up its four-season run. This is an M-rated show. It's obviously not for families or kids. But the buzz about it could easily be influencing older teens, especially with regard to its really harsh critique of patriarchy and organized religion. And from there, we're going to talk about the appeal of dystopian stories in general and how we need to approach those as families. Well, joining me for today's conversation are... Paul Acey, Jonathan McKee,
1: and Emily Clark. All
0: right. All right. What's the first dark or dystopian or dystopian-ish TV show or movie you remember seeing, and how did that affect you? Paul, I can see you're waiting on bated breath to answer my question. Waiting (laughs) on
2: bated breath. Or waiting
0: with bated breath. Yeah,
2: I I was just trying to picture me standing on the actual (laughs) bated breath. But, But we digress. I think I already I, would, I know I mean, we haven't even started <laughs> so, even, so, oh so early God. into the show. This is this is the sign of a good <laughs> podcast when we're already going on a totally different tangent. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say Soylent Green. Oh is that about green soil? No, no. Have you not seen Soylent Green? No, I'm playing dumb. But
0: you can tell people about it because it's not exactly a household name. No. Perhaps for those- Is Will
3: Smith in it? (laughs) (laughs) No,
0: No. but by golly, he should have been.
2: Charlton Heston was like the dystopian king for a while, right? It's true. That's his official title. (laughs) In the 60s and 70s, he was in a lot of interesting sci-fi stories. And 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 Biblical stories. uh, Strange, right? Very interesting. We might talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but Soylent Green is about this overpopulated world where all of a sudden there's not much food. There's not much wildlife to make food out of. So you have these bricks of nutrients that are given to people to help them to survive. The latest and greatest of these is Soylent Green. And I I feel like I want to spoil the story now. But...
0: Uh, you can. I'm going to give you permission because, you know— it's made out of people uh, dun, dun, dun.
2: people people <laughs> okay. yeah, so yeah it it was a very creepy Crossed story that and, one off
0: my list, <laughs> <laughs> but
2: <laughs> <laughs> ironically, the thing that struck me wasn't so much the horror of the final the reveal horror. exactly, it was about this overpopulated society where people are sleeping in the in the they're sleeping in the hallways, they're on the stairs piled up. People have to step over them to get to wherever they're going. If you have- So basically there's people sleeping everywhere. People are sleeping everywhere. Sounds like a pretty boring movie. If you have like a cubicle, we work in cubicles. If you have a cubicle of space to yourself, you're doing pretty well for yourself. Okay. All right, what about you guys?
1: Um, mine was probably The Hunger Games. Um, I, I know that's not the first one that I saw, but it's the first one that I really actually remember and that I recognized as a dystopian um story. And yeah, that was when I was like in college. It was kind of funny because I remember everybody had already read the books. It was when the movies were coming out and I was like, Okay, so what's this about? And they were like, Emily, you just have to read the books. You just have to. I like that voice. <laughs> That's and That's a
3: hideous I, voice. Wow.
0: I'm, I'm well. Impressed.
1: Now you understand why I was just kind of like, okay then. <laughs> I did read the books. Um, I it, that's really all I have to say about it. I read the books. I watched the movies. It's not my favorite dystopian novel by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it is it's an okay story.
3: okay. Jonathan? Okay, good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I wondered if Hunger Games is going to come out. And Paul, I am surprised. I thought for sure you were going to actually go with the other Charlton Heston. I thought you were going to go with the Omega Man.
2: Oh, the Omega of, Man.
3: Which most of us know as I Am Legend, you know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I think for me, you know, the key thing here is you're like, you know, Adam, you're saying when we grew up, you know, what one of these did we watch? And of course, you know, way back then there wasn't a lot of choices and very often it was what came on TV at the time. Exactly. Exactly. And and I remember my brother and I, you know, we'd be like, oh, you know, it's Friday night or it's Saturday night. What's on TV? And I remember there was this bizarre film that we hadn't heard of and it was called the road warrior and oh, it came yeah. on and it's of course the tv version a little bit you know, dystopian Not that, that was a know. little
2: bit dystopian
3: <laughs> yeah and it was probably kind of the post-apocalyptic you know man wandering around you know and uh that i remember just i, I thought that movie was scary I, oh, I, yeah. I was like wow i mean this is this is bleak this is what it could be like you know um but no george miller the director did an incredible job as he uh, went on to go do babe pig in the city also but anyway (laughs) it was it was and he's done a lot of road warrior films but uh no it scared me it definitely scared me Uh, you wrecked me with babe
2: pig in the city there's so many (laughs) directors they're actually very similar movies but not really (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching that one too, Jonathan. Man, I tell you what, it was a bleak movie. I remember just the first 20 minutes of it. Man,
0: a little bit depressing. Well, for me, it was Planet of the Apes, which I mentioned earlier. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston again. (laughs) He's the common denominator today. Um. (laughs) Clearly, we need to do a a special Charlton Heston podcast. (laughs) Maybe later. Um, I think for me, I had a sort of visceral reaction of, I was intensely curious and intensely freaked out all at the same time. I'm like monkey people. Interesting. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) What are they doing? I'm scared of them. And then, you know, I would have been like same thing. I would have been like five or six and I'm sure it was just on TV. And I was flipping around the rotary dial on my small black and white television. Some of you have no idea what I'm even talking about. And that's neat. Um, and, but it would get your attention. And I think that there is something about these dystopian stories, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more as we get into our conversation, that it is that sort of rubbernecking kind of thing. Like I want to take a glimpse at the total destruction of humanity as we know it, but I'm kind of horrified by it at the same time. So there's this sort of dual impulse happening psychologically. And I think that most dystopian stories play on that so let's talk about some of those let's dive in with the handmaid's tale i mentioned in the introduction this has been an incredibly popular somewhat controversial show based on an incredibly popular and somewhat controversial novel so for those who aren't familiar with it emily you've had a chance to review several episodes and paul you've reviewed some too but i think emily has you trumped in terms of recentness Um, emily tell us about the premise of this show And uh, a little bit about why it's controversial.
1: All righty. Well, you've got this dystopian world called Gilead, where basically what happened is the fertility rate went down and the child mortality rate went up. And so there are basically very few children in the world. And America goes to civil war, Gilead is the power that comes out on top and they create this society where fertile women are made into these handmaids and it is a play on the story from genesis with um jacob and leah and rachel when rachel and leah give their handmaids Zilpah and bilha to him as wives um it's kind of a play on that these women are basically baby bearers they are breeding machines and they are given to the leaders of this new world to bear children for them and um and yeah it's really creepy and it's it they twist religion especially the old testament in fact i don't even think the new testament is really mentioned in the show at all it's all old testament stuff it's very twisted it's very manipulated it's not biblical at all um really but um yeah the reason i think it's so controversial If you just want me to jump right into it, it's a commentary on abortion. And um, basically what it is, is in this government, they are controlling women's bodies. And the reason it's so controversial in our world is because women who support abortion feel like their bodies are being controlled by our government. So they are drawing those parallels. And that, I think, is the biggest reason why this show has become so controversial. There's
0: definitely a contemporary social commentary going on here. And
1: Margaret Atwood, the author of the story, meant it to do that.
0: Well, a couple of questions. Are there any positive elements, and for younger people who may be watching it, how do you think it might be influencing them, maybe in a negative way?
1: Well. I'm not going to lie. I feel like I have to really, really dig to find those positive elements. (laughs) Um, I will say this. There are a lot of very strong, predominantly female leads, which is great to see, I think, for young girls because they're like – because these women are the ones who are um, helming the revolution, you know. But – it comes at such a cost that it's not worth it, if you ask me. There, yeah. This show mm. is just really messed up. There are incidents of ritualized rape there oh. um, and non-ritualized rape. Um,
0: so it's a hardcore TVMA
1: there, it, show. Oh, yeah. There's murder. There's language. there's It, it is just dark. And, you know... In fact, I would say it's kind of interesting because, you know, you asked me, you know, what would be bad for teens? What's bad for teens is that, as you said in your introduction, you know, with the, the bashing on the patriarchy and religion and such, I think that honestly... Maybe even more so than the um, abortion narrative. I think that's actually really important for teens to understand that it's like it is bashing on the patriarchy so hard that it makes and it's making it so extreme in this story. So that if you even hear somebody maybe just like say something that might be construed as wrong, that you will call them out immediately and stuff because what it's doing is it's fear and it's making people scared that this is our future and I think that's very dangerous especially for influential minds of teenagers you know because they're not going to recognize that oh, hey this is not what our world is this is an extreme dystopian society like this isn't what's happening but they're scared that it's what could happen and so now so you know it almost makes them want to go the opposite direction which is not necessarily a good thing
2: yeah just to talk a little bit more about that and correct me if I go in anywhere astray with this, Emily, because I haven't watched the latest seasons of this, but it does seem that they really concentrate on that religious patriarchy, that hierarchy that you see there. And and for a society that is sort of moving away from Christianity, falling into more of a secular type of understanding of the culture at large, mm-hmm. there are some people who associate what we see in Gilead with evangelical Christianity. Would that be fair? Uh, Yeah. And I think that that's a dangerous thing, obviously, because as an evangelical Christian, as we are evangelical Christians, when we watch this, we don't see our faith reflected in this at all. Oh, no, not at all. It's a really strange thing. But I do think that if you're looking for positives that you can draw from here, if you dig really, really, really deeply, (laughs) you could take away almost a cautionary tale Uh, in terms of what religion can sometimes do, where it can devolve into this pharisaical, rules-based society that doesn't really care for the people it's supposed to.
3: Well, and that's where we, you know, really, as we're talking with our kids about this, I think it's good to give them glimpses of real-life examples of um, what, you know, following Christ actually looks like. And sometimes I, I always tell parents, I think this is a great opportunity for us to even, you know, t- take our kids to see examples of ministries that hmm. reach out to help people that are in crisis. My oh, wife, my wife works at a crisis pregnancy center, and uh, it is a place that provides young women with alternatives to just, hey, can I go in and get an abortion? Um, they provide free medical care for these young women, and just love and care. And w- when these young women come in, and they're like, "I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm scared. I'm going to probably get in trouble because I'm pregnant. This going to, you know, this pregnancy could ruin my life." They don't judge them, and you know, they wrap their arms around them and love them and care for them, and say, "Hey, we've got the free medical care that you need. What can we do to help?" And seeing an example of that, it's so contrasting to what the world paints that it's going to be like, and I'm not saying there aren't some weirdos out there. There are definitely some religious weirdos out there that, you know, pound people with religion instead of relationship. And it doesn't look like Christ at all. Mm -hmm. And the more we spend time in scripture and the more we spend time with people that are walking like Christ walked, and the more we model this as parents, the more they're going to see that contrast. They're going to see if they do sneak and watch hands made tail, they're going to go, that's weird. That's not like any of the Christ followers I've met.
2: Yeah. It's a fascinating thing that Handmaid's Tale tells this dystopian story in the way that it does. As Emily alluded to, you know, it really is about reproductive um, themes, it's about abortion. From where I sit, it's hard for me to see a more dystopian story than the killing of children. You know, I, I I don't like to put it as strongly as that. That seems a little bit out of character. But but for me, when I think about the idea of abortion and, and the millions upon millions of babies that we lose to it, it reminds me actually of Soylent Green. And even though The Handmaid's Tale is talking a lot about honoring the people in society to see them as the people they are— The story neglects to see these unborn unborn babies for what they could be
0: Well, I think that's exactly right and I think as we help our kids think through these things and again here um, I'm hopeful that most of our young children haven't experienced this, but it could be that you have an older teen That has been curious about the buzz on this show and man There has been a lot of conversation about it and especially because it's the last season uh, it could be that there is an opportunity to really talk about the themes in play here. And one of the things that we want to do at Plugged In is equip you with what you need to make a good decision, sometimes to say no to something. And there's lots of stuff out there in culture that we would say no to. And certainly if your mm-hmm. family hasn't gone there, this <laughs> falls into that category. Uh, but we also want to equip you to have a conversation with your teen and to equip your teen to think critically for himself or herself when they do come across these things. And I I wasn't anticipating the sort of um, side road into a conversation about abortion here, mm-hmm. but I think that's a, a really important conversation. And it's one that Focus on the Family is very much involved with. In fact, we have an event coming up called Sea Life 2021 that really emphasizes the beauty and the sanctity and the dignity of life and helping people who are in those crisis pregnancies like Jonathan talked about. And you can find out more about that by visiting our website at thepluggedinshow.com. Well, moving back into our discussion about dystopian stories, obviously The Handmaid's Tale is not aimed at teens. They may experience it, they may be interested in it, but there's a lot of dystopian stuff out there that mm. not only is it aimed at teens it stars teens you know it's oh, yeah. this is a huge staple of the young adult uh fantasy and sci-fi universe if you will so what are some of the common themes that we find in these dystopian stories
1: the totalitarian governments, suppression of human rights uh, someone willing <laughs> to rebel against it in a nutshell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, I feel like I wanted to, like, visually place bullet points in front of each of the things you just there said.
3: It. Oh, that was good.
2: You know, when I think about dystopian stories, I often think of it in terms of they, In some ways, they're very, very moral stories. They're cautionary okay, tales. Okay, say more about that. Um, because they talk about how our sins, either moral or secular or what have you, you know, sins, sins that we would consider sins as, as evangelical Christians or Christians, uh, how society might perceive a sin, we talk a lot about how mankind has ruined the world around us. You know, it talks a lot about the sinful nature of man, um, which I find kind of interesting about a lot of these stories.
0: Yeah. So maybe there's a natural bridge to having a conversation about what scripture says about the nature of reality. Yeah, Because I think all these stories are a commentary on the nature of things on some level.
2: It's interesting to me that A lot of these stories deal with an inherently fallen world. We see these fallen worlds, Mm -hmm. right? That is not necessarily a popular thing within society as a whole. We like to think of people as generally good. These dystopian stories often sort of debunk that and shows how we can go very, very wrong. Okay. You know,
3: it's interesting when you look at all the different options for these. There's one that isn't as popular and uh, it was a series, it was a TV 14 series called Falling Skies. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. mm-hmm. ever seen it, yeah. yep. but starring Noah Wiley, you know, from ER. Um, and uh, he, it is really interesting because in this series, it's kind of about aliens taking over, but they're all, you know, living in this post-apocalyptic world taken over by aliens. But it's about this father and his sons and the relationship between the father and his sons is really good and Here's the thing I found interesting and I and I'm only a few episodes into it my wife and I stumbled upon it and we tried it um because we like ER no um and uh <laughs> we were like watching it and there's a Christian character in Falling Skies who like prays and quotes scripture and she gathers people together and pray and there's some other people that are kind of critical of her and so far she's a good character and my wife and I looked at each other and said when do you see that on TV right I mean right. you know and I have no idea what they're going to do with her but It's, you know, maybe the aliens are going to eat her. I have no idea. But but so far...
0: (laughs) That often happens to Christian
3: characters, yeah. Yeah, that's that's typically it. But no, it's been interesting to see uh, kind of... And the reason I like those kind of series and did as a kid is I always kind of liked, what would I do in that situation? And I think young people like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's why young people like scary films so much. What would I do? And so to me, it's kind of fun when you find one that you can watch as a family and discuss and talk about. And, um, and that's, I think that's why we used to share ghost stories around the campfire, you know, or, or scary stories around the campfire because it was kind of like oh, Ooh, it's, a, you know, yeah. what would I do in this situation? I'm so scared. And, uh, for me, it was kind of a, it so far so good on that one.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned actually Falling Skies and that Christian character, because that's one of the things that that you see often in dystopian stories. I think that these stories give an actual springboard to talk about bigger, deeper issues. Because Mm. the world is falling apart, it gives us opportunity to explore what's truly important. And oftentimes, as in your example, it's about family, but it can be about faith too. The Walking Dead is not a show that I would recommend to anybody but you're going to talk about it anyway but i, I am I can going feel to talk coming. about <laughs> it anyway because you do have some interesting spiritual notes that mm. can show up in the midst of all the blood and all the suffering and everything that you see you do see some christian characters trying to see what their faith looks like in the very worst places
1: You know, it's not the only story that does that. You know, you do have stories like uh, The Hunger Games and, like, The Handmaid's Tale where it's the, quote, good people trying to correct the bad people. However, you also have stories, like you said... um, I'm thinking of the book of Eli, for example, where the world, where it's kind of the opposite, where you have like, where nobody's trying to fix anybody. It's just chaos. But you have like one good character who has faith and whose faith carries them Hmm. through all these bad, horrible things that they're seeing. Or, spoiler alert, not seeing in that case of that movie.
3: <laughs> oh, great film. I mean, I'm so glad you brought up The Book of Eli. I mean, and you just don't want to, I, I mean, I feel like we don't even want to say why we love that film so much because it's like, it is the ending. It's it's the spoiler of the movie, but it's an incredible movie um, that is not for kids. Uh, but yeah, no, it does it well. It is interesting because whenever you have a positive character or like a man of faith like in a book of eli it is so contrast to what the world usually does uh frank darabont's the guy who created the walking dead and it is interesting because they he does have some redeeming uh, christian characters not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also did a movie called the mist which is this dark oh my goodness. post-apocalyptic whatever and the christian character there is this weird religious lady who is evil and you can't stand <laughs> her and that's what's usually the typical thing it's that St- yeah. and it's written by stephen king and stephen king all his christian characters are always weird bible bashing you know and that's what sadly you know hansman tale feels like it's like oh, yeah. any religion must be evil and kids need to see that contrast
0: well, i think another interesting theme and i think this is one of the reasons they often appeal to teens is in the midst of these fallen worlds where the stakes are very high for everybody like it's always about life and death and it's always about life and death of individuals uh, and sometimes entire cultures and societies, like everything, depends on whether the characters are successful or not. And in the midst of that, we often have young adults who are in sort of a a not so poignant coming of age story, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. they're discovering important things about their identity, about who they are, about gifts they may have, about whether people in society are really interested in in what they're you know, bringing to the table. And so often you'll have somebody like Katniss Everdeen who, you know, in this moment of horror where it looks like her sister's going to get carted off to, you know, compete in this competition. That's a, you know, a to the death competition among children. She stands up and says, no. And so we get these moments of courage against this backdrop of horror in some ways. And I think it's a fascinating sort of juxtaposition.
1: I think that one of the reasons that teenagers really seem to like these books and why a lot of them are aimed at teenagers, um, I feel like I've read and seen a lot that have almost, I don't know why, but they really like having the young female heroine who is leading the rebellion and everything. So, you know, you got Katniss Everdeen, you got, in a way, you have Princess Leia, you know? (laughs) You know, she becomes a general in the later movies. So glad you got Star Wars
0: in here. Oh, I had to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's always like, I think what it is is that we often encourage our young people to stand up when they see injustice. And that's what's happening in these stories. And that actually is biblical. You know, um, you just think of all these young people that God's using in the Bible. And, you know, that's what these dystopian novels are doing. They just may not realize that what they're doing is actually kind of biblical. Um But I think that's also why teenagers enjoy these stories so much is because they're like, I want to be that person. You know, God, choose me. Use me.
2: I also wonder whether there's a sensation in the culture today that society is just going a little bit downhill. And I think that that maybe these teens can be attracted to some of these stories because they see some – some realities that they see reflected in their own lives. Yeah,
1: they see themselves as, you know, leading a revolution within their own communities.
0: Well, and I think that there's a parallel here with horror movies and with zombie movies in particular in that when there are these moments of cultural unrest and uncertainty, these movies are almost like a subconscious manifestation of our insecurity about what's happening in the world. And so I think as we see lots of things breaking down or in flux or in transition, it probably shouldn't surprise us that we're getting lots of stories uh, that fictionalize that and dramatize that in a fantastic way and that people are drawn to them. It's sort of a cathartic outlet for maybe some of our own pent up emotions and and anxiety that we have. And and that can even be true as adults, let alone as teens. But I think teens are especially, vulnerable slash interested maybe because of the identity issues they're going through. I know Mm -hmm. in high school, I went through a really kind of bizarre horror novel phase. And looking back, I can see I was trying to sort some things out and there was an appeal there. But in the moment, I don't think I would have had that much self-awareness. So as we begin to bring this conversation to a close, we've touched on a lot of things here. This is a, a genre that inherently can have a lot of problems. And especially when it's in an M-rated sort of manifestation, whether we're talking The Walking Dead or The Handmaid's Tale, there can be really graphic content. Uh, There's often graphic violence, there may be graphic and explicit sexual content. And those issues are a reason to approach this with a tremendous amount of caution, if not just saying outright, yeah, we're not going there. That's Mm -hmm. not for our family, especially if your kids are younger. But as we've talked, I think that we have also seen a bunch of other potentially redemptive themes that get woven in here too. You know, What is the nature of humanity? How do we respond when things go wrong? Who are you going to be as you move from your childhood years to your teen years to your adult years? How are you gonna respond to those challenges? And just as we talk about every week on the Plugged In Show and at Plugged In, Our desire is to equip you as parents to be able to have those conversations with your kids so that you don't just sit down and and watch Hunger Games and think, well, that was a cool story. You know, Katniss Everdeen was really great with a bow. That was cool. But there is an ability to ask questions and to go deeper with regard to how these stories may be impacting our kids as they watch them. And again, I'm talking about older teens at this point. Most Mm. of this stuff probably isn't going to be appropriate for younger children, but some questions that you can potentially ask if you have older teens who are reading or watching these stories is what did this story say was the main problem with humanity and how and why did humanity end up in such bad shape? Uh, another question is, do you agree with that understanding of the problem? Why are we not? And then making the connection with the real world, where do you see similar problems in our world? And then I think maybe the most important question is, how does our faith give us a different and hopeful point of view on suffering and struggles in the real world right now? So we always want to be helping our kids walk over that bridge between entertainment and fiction and the reality of our faith and how it influences us and how it can give us a sense of meaning and purpose and integrity in a world that even if it's not dystopian, sometimes it can, feel it can feel that way. pretty messed up. Well, I hope that the Plugged In Show can be a catalyst for that kind of conversation in your own family, perhaps with your friends, and maybe even with us. So this week, we would love to hear from you regarding this specific question. Is there a dystopian story, and it could be a movie, a TV show, a book, that either you or someone in your family has connected with and why let us know at our Facebook page or on our Instagram page, which you'll find at plugged in team. And we would love to keep this discussion going with you today. Well, even though it's a, A rather dreary topic. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation about dystopian stories today. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for today's conversation. Or if you prefer, you can also call 800 a family well as always we so much appreciate the fact that you have taken time to join us today and we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of the plugged in show